I don't understand why this technique is not more popular, to be honest. And I don't understand why my teachers in university did not teach me, you know, that um, that was the way to train. Why are people still resting two minutes between sets? In this episode, you will hear my interview with Dr. Carl Juno, who will tell you a lot of interesting stuff about the science of so-called effective reps and how you can get more out of your workout by concentrating it more to those reps of any given workout set that count, quote unquote, the most towards muscle growth, cutting out as much of the fluff work as possible and thus making your workouts a lot more time efficient. And if you're both passionate about building muscle and maximizing productivity in life outside of the gym, you will enjoy this episode. Before we get into this episode though, I just quickly wanna tell you that some really exciting stuff are happening in sustainable self-development land as of recent times. And as of lately, the sustainable self-development group has been brought to life more than ever. We have over a thousand awesome members and have daily discussions over some of the most interesting nutrition and training concepts. Also, the Norwegian mastermind himself, Berge Fagerli, has gotten on board not long ago and he's spreading his knowledge there too. And as of late, we've been doing these really awesome Q&A sessions with Berge in the group where we answer some of the best nutrition and training questions that have come in the group. So if you have not done so already, then be sure to go to facebook.com slash sustainable self-development and join the group. Also, you might wanna know that Berge and I are currently working on a really epic training template which will allow you to get, in our estimation, the best possible training stimulus without having to spend endless hours in the gym and pounding yourself with a bajillion sets every week and burning yourself out. And if this is something that sounds interesting to you, then head over to sustainableselfdevelopment.com and you can claim a 20% discount on this upcoming training template. All right, that's enough of the shameless plugging for now. And with that, let's get into the episode. All right, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Today, I'm really excited to talk with Dr. Carl Junot. I hope I pronounced your name right, Carl. Yes, it's right. Thank you, Abel. Awesome. Yeah, so I'm really excited to talk about a topic that um, obviously is pretty near and dear to my heart. Um, and, and I think a lot of people who are interested in making training an efficient and sustainable process for themselves will find these topics interesting. And we are going to talk about how you can make your training not just more effective, but also more time efficient and really make the best use of your time in the gym. So um, my first question to you, Carl, is, um, well, first of all, how are you? And secondly, uh, I think I've seen a, a picture of you on Facebook, which is kind of a before after photo, which was kind of you coming back to your best shape after some period of uh, a, a layoff or what's the story behind this pretty epic profile picture that you have on Facebook? Thank you very much. Uh, first, uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure. And uh, yeah, that picture, you know, I, I resisted posting shirtless pictures of myself for a long time. Like uh, I thought, you know, I'm a professional, I'm a trainer, uh, I have a degree, I don't need to show off, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and um but, uh, you know, I think that was just uh, me being shy, you know, about my body, even, even if I maybe don't have reasons to, but I was a little shy. And now it's, I realize, you know, people want to see that you can deliver the goods. And uh, what you can see on that picture is me, um, really skinny. Uh, that's basically what I looked like in 2009. Starting in 2009, I got really sick. 
And um, I, I found out later that I had um, celiac disease or non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And um, that's a long story, but uh, I ended up having to really change the way I was eating. And um, until I found that out, then I had a lot of uh, trouble uh, digesting foods and low energy, brain fog, uh, even depression. Um, and it took me about two years to find out um, a solution, to find a solution. And when I finally found that solution, then I uh, could start uh, training again, gaining weight, and basically uh, look like what I look like uh, now in, in that photo again. Um, so it was a pretty big transformation, a pretty big comeback, because it, it had taken me, oh, uh, I don't remember, maybe 10 years, you know, to build all that muscle mass. And then I lost it in like six months uh, by becoming sick. So uh, I kind of made a comeback and I was happy that I could use the knowledge and experience that I had before to put the, the muscle back on quickly. And um, also, I think muscle memory helped uh, a lot, probably in that in that regard. So um, so uh, it was a pretty, pretty good comeback. And um, I'm glad I'm glad now I'm back in good shape. And thank you for that comment on my picture. Absolutely. So two quick questions off of that. Uh, first of all, just to give people some perspective in a picture like that, like what's the weight difference on that approximately? It's 27 pounds. 27. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I posted a kind of a similar picture of myself uh, not that long ago on, on Instagram. And I, just I saw thought, it. You did? Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. And, and, and like, like uh, yourself, I kind of posted that. Yeah, that's kind of a 10 or 10 plus kilo difference between two pictures huh. or like 20 or so pound difference. Great. And uh, yeah, so just before just before people get too hung up over how like putting on 20 pounds or so of muscle during a bulking phase, it doesn't go that fast. <laughs> um, no, yeah. And, and, and people, I think because of Photoshop and like um, the fake natural guys, you know, who people maybe don't have a really um, realistic expectations of what they can gain and what it looks like. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying it was easy, especially gaining it the first time, but um, for, um, for a, a natural guy with average um, height and weight, you can put on, you know, about 50 pounds in your lifting career. And there, like, Lyle McDonald wrote a great article on that and also recaps some of what uh, of the other guys in the industry thinks about that. And um, the, the, you know, they more or less agree that you can put on about 50 pounds over the course of your lifting career. So that's say five, you know, 10 years, but it's doable. It takes time. Um, and, and, and you can do it if you train the right way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, that's a very good, good way to put it. And, um, the, the other question I wanted to ask off of that is you mentioned that you had this, um, celiac, uh, disease sort of, sort of thing that you had to deal with. So yeah. how do you eat these days after figuring out uh, what to actually do with your diet? Okay. Well, that's a great question. Never been asked that one. It's <laughs> kind of personal, you know, because, um, I'm not saying that this is the way people should eat. Sure. And uh, you'll also see that my cooking skills are like uh, non-existent. <laughs> but I'll tell you, but I'm not really recommending this to anyone. So I eat basically the same thing every day. Um, I like consistency and I'm, uh, I'm a little bit of a, of a boring uh, OCD kind of guy. You know, I like repetition and I like uh, my day to be... Uh, to be um, consistent and to know what to expect. So um, in the morning, I will eat four eggs with butter and sweet potatoes. And um, those foods I can tolerate really well. And then I 
only eat for supper, which is like the last meal of the day. So I guess I'm doing some kind of intermittent fasting. I do it not to lose weight or to, you know, be lean because I'm pretty, already pretty lean, but I do it because it helps me focus. I find when I work, if I do not eat, um, I'm really focused and I, I'm more productive. And that's important to me at this point in my life. When I was 20, you know, I would eat five to six meals a day and I was doing the, like almost scared of not eating protein every three hours at that time. That was the, um, the recommended way of putting on mass, you know, and, um, the way I eat now is probably not optimal for putting on mass. Happily, I've put on a sizable amount of mass already. And these days, my focus is, is not so much on gaining more muscle. I've found um, I've gained a bit. I'm happy with the way I look and uh, I just want to be productive and help it work. So I skip um, lunch and then I'll have supper, which is um, a steak or a fish uh, with uh, leafy green vegetables and sometimes uh, one cup of rice. And that's it. <laughs> so that, yeah. that's a very boring diet. Um, but I, I find it's pretty healthy and uh, keeps me uh, lean, keeps me in shape and um, keeps me focused. No, yeah. I mean, for myself, for myself, I'm really not a foodie. So to me, it sounds like one hell of a way to eat. Like uh, when people tell me these things like, yeah, I don't like Diet Coke because the real thing tastes better. I'm like, what kind of sophisticated taste receptors these people have that they know the yeah. difference between Diet Coke and real Coke? Like, for me, I, I know sweet taste and savory. And that's the extent <laughs> of my sophistication with <laughs> tastes. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I guess good for you and maybe good for us. You know, it's... uh. Maybe these people who uh, crave a lot of foods and have a hard time stopping themselves, you know, maybe they just have uh, more active taste buds, you know, <laughs> they, yeah. they get more, more pleasure from eating or something. And, uh, you know, it's, it's maybe it helps us that we, uh, we can uh, uh, live on a boring diet like this. It, you know, one reason I don't have any, say, cookies or, um, or candies or chocolate at home is whenever I, I buy some and I bring some home, I eat them right away you know yeah <laughs> i so maybe that's one trick that people get can get away from this is uh that um you know the best way to avoid eating certain foods is just not to buy them and just not to have them at home yeah no absolutely yeah and really i, I think one of the key things to maintaining a lean physique year-round is to just adapt a lower food reward uh, type of diet so yep. it, it could yep. be higher carb lower carb it doesn't really matter but as long as the palatability and the energy density is managed for the most part you're basically on the road to success so yeah great tip yeah yeah awesome so um so I'm wondering, uh, what is your kind of training history? So I, I've heard you mention a couple of podcasts that you wanted to become an archer uh, champion yeah. back in the days. And yeah. so, so what's your kind of history with that? And maybe also touch briefly on like, what is your kind of history with bodybuilding type of uh, training routines before you stumbled onto some of the things that you're doing now in the gym? Sure. So um, as you say, I started out with archery. I was six and I saw Robin Hood with Kevin Costner and I thought this guy was just great and I wanted to be like him. So I enrolled in a class and, and started to learn to shoot um, arrows and do archery. So that was fun. And I became pretty good at it when I was 17. I uh, was a third in Quebec, which is my state or province as we call it here in Canada. And I was seventh in Canada. And um, I had begun lifting weights so I could um, pull heavier bows, bows with more tension so that I could shoot arrows farther. 
And at 17, I got a new coach. Um, that was the beginning of um, my undergraduate studies over here. We call it CEGEP. And um, I had, you know, taken fewer classes in, in undergrad because I wanted to train more, spend more time doing archery and maybe go to the Olympics. And this new coach sat down with me and he said, look, um, you're going to have to train full time. Um, you'll probably never win a gold medal or any medal at um, world class or Olympic level because uh, no one in Canada ever won any. And we, we don't really have the structure in place to do well in that sport. Mm. Um, I think the best uh, position was uh, 17. You know, they, we never did better than that. Uh, so he mm. told me, you'll, you won't win and you'll spend maybe 10, 15 years doing that. And then you'll have um, no or low education, no career and no fame. So is this really what you want to do? And no money, probably he mentioned that. And I, I said, oh, I'll think about it. And uh, about a week later, I said, um, I thought about it. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm done with Archer. <laughs> and, um, you know, thinking back, some people say that he was maybe harsh on me or, he, you know, he, maybe he broke my dreams. But actually, I'm really grateful uh, to him for um, telling me that and telling it the way it was because uh, I was going, you know, head first and um, not really thinking uh, about the consequences of um, living as a amateur athlete. And I, I'm kind of glad I stopped. And um, at about the same time, I was already lifting weights. And I, I remember asking two trainers at the gym I was training at. We had uh, like free gyms for fleets. And uh, I told them I wanted to build muscle mass. I was a very skinny kid. And um, as you know, you've seen on, on my picture on Facebook, this is basically what I look like when I don't train. <laughs> and um, I asked them, you know, I want to build muscle mass. So give me, give me a program that does that. And um, it's the same goal, you know, build muscle. And then one trainer gave me one program. And a few months later, another trainer gave me a pretty different program. And I was really surprised, you know, really puzzled because I think, well, isn't there a science to this? You know, it's the same goal. Why am I getting two different programs? And, um, you know, this is basically what I did for the next nine years. I studied exercise sciences and then um, health and exercise statistics. And throughout my focus, one of my big focus and passion has been, you know, what are the best ways to train and what are some um, guidelines, techniques and principles that we can apply to a workout plan that's going to um, work for most people under most circumstances and produce the best results. And I, I'm, I'm trying, basically, I'm trying to, you know, answer the question that I had, you know, when I was 17, which is, you know, I want to build muscle, what do I do? And um, I'm hoping that maybe at some point, you know, good trainers will not give two programs that are very different, but um, they, they should give uh, more or less the same program. And I think our field has um, made a lot of progress in these years. And I think that these days, if you're speaking to a good trainer, especially online, um, that you know who to listen to, who to, who to follow, uh, that you can, um, you'll find these good trainers following more or less the same guidelines um, across the world, which I think is really great. And this has been, you know, my, my quest uh, for the last, I guess, uh, 15 years. That's awesome. That's that's really great. And um, and so to slowly uh, transition into to kind of one of uh, our or our main topics, I should say for today, which is your effective reps or your work surrounding effective reps. Um, yeah. So my first question about that is that obviously all of us are sort of um, in a seeking mode to find the best training routine or the best training split. Like, what is the most effective thing that we can do in the gym? Yeah. What I'd be wondering is that. The effective reps concept is that, 
is that sort of a way to make the an otherwise effective training program work in a more efficient way or is that sort of the um, utilizing that sort of a training method in your estimation is the best way to design the most effective training program um I think it's not a method in itself, you know, like you would hear about maybe German volume training or five by five or whatever. These are, I think, um, maybe I will say programs that are pre-written and that you, you follow maybe more or less blindly, you know, which, which can be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on where you're coming from. But um, there's something to be said about, you know, just finding a good program and doing it. If, if you don't know anything about lifting and you, you don't have a trainer and you just want to get started, then, um, you know, the, the five by five program, you know, is proven and, and has uh, helped a lot of people build a lot of strength. So um, I won't speak against it. Um, but my theory of effective reps is more on the other side, which was the first um, option you mentioned, which is a guiding principle, I think, or a more of a guideline that a good trainer can keep in mind when creating a program to make the program more effective. Yeah, awesome. And um, so maybe just to take a step back, um, since we mentioned that we are all in search for the best training program that's out there, in previous podcasts, I've heard you outline really, really nicely how you would um, guide a complete beginner through a general progression, like you would just start them with something really, really simple. But I would be curious that if, if we are talking about the sort of typical intermediate type of person who has been training for maybe two to, th two, two to three years, and now is looking to put on that last maybe 15 pounds of muscle that they can still put on, is there sort of a general training program with certain parameters that you would kind of kind of say to that person, this is something that you could do and you will be likely to make progress on that. And then maybe we can work from there and transition into the effective reps concept more. Sure. What I follow and what I found to work the best um, in my career as a trainer is um, the approach recommended by Ripito and Baker in their great book, um, practical programming for strength training. Now this book is so good, I got the second edition and the third edition. So when they, they released the new edition, I bought it just to get the updates that they put in. And um, um, in the second half of the book, they give a series of programs with a progression um, between them. And um, for the intermediate level, what they recommend, they start um, from a base of mo more or less five by five. And, you know, there are different ways to do five by five, but let's um, jump right at, uh, right at the intermediate level and say you're coming off of a five by five ish type of program. And now uh, the, the difference, the main difference that you're going to have to keep in mind at the intermediate level is that you need more time to recover. That's basically it. And at, at, for beginners, um, you know, my go-to program for beginners, full body three times a week. And uh, a beginner can recover in two days and make progress and um, keep getting stronger, um, workout to workout uh, for a long time. And actually, this is how Repito and Baker define um, beginners. They say that a beginner is someone who makes progress every workout. So as long as you can make progress every workout, by all means, do it. And mm -hmm. um, uh, I'll, I'll segue uh, or I'll, I'll make a quick um, detour here because I think this is um, something that could be really useful for a lot of coaches and people in our field. You know, what's a beginner? What's an intermediate level guy? How, how do we define that? Um, and um, uh, with my 
PhD in, in health and exercise statistics, you know, we've had whole courses just on what is a measure <laughs> and on how do you measure things? Uh, how do you define things? And um, I think it's really important to know what we're talking about. So having this definition of a beginner as someone who is making progress every workout is really useful, I think. So I put my beginners on a three times a week full body program, and they can recover in 48 hours and they, um, they repeat the workout, they get better. At some point, they will plateau in that program. And that just means that they need more recovery. So um, as a beginner, you get stronger and then you lift heavier weights and then this you know taxes your system and you need more time to recover so at some point you cannot um train three times a week and still make progress with the same exercises so at the intermediate level what uh, i recommend my clients do and what um Ripito and baker uh, recommend in their book is just to have a light day so the light day on a monday wednesday and friday template is uh, the wednesday on Monday, you do a high volume day. On Wednesday, you recover. And on Friday, you do a high intensity day where you try to uh, increase your 5RM. In this case, so your 5 rep max, your maximal strength, uh, or just your best record. So on Monday, you don't really focus so much on setting a new record. You just want to get the volume in. Uh, that will be five sets, let's say, of squat. Um, at a probably a six RM weight. And so you have one repetition in reserve for people who are familiar with that. So it's those are all some maximal sets. Um, because you're not really trying to, you know, set a new record, you're just getting the volume in. And, and as many of your listeners will know, volume is a great driver of muscle hypertrophy. Mm -hmm. um, on Wednesday, you're going to do just two sets of squats. And um, you're going to use a weight that's 80% of Monday. So let's say it was a 6RM weight on Monday, then it's probably an 8RM weight on Wednesday, and you're still doing 5 reps with a weight that you could do 8 times, so that's pretty easy. And you're just doing 2 sets, so that's pretty easy as well when you're used to 5 sets. So you're recovering, and you're just keeping the motor pattern fresh. That's the goal, and... Um, then you get to Friday, and Friday you're going to do five reps at a 5RM weight or even maybe a 4RM weight. That is, you're going to try and break your record. And um, this is how you make progress on the intermediate level program. That is, you're making progress from Friday to Friday. So that's once a week. Mm -hmm. On the beginner level program, you're making progress three times a week every time you work out. So you're, you're making progress daily on the beginner uh, level program on the intermediate level program you're making progress weekly so it's once a week on friday and for um having used that program for a long time i can tell you that, that there's also a great psychological uh, psychological effect that is um um, when you get to the gym on Friday, you know that you're there to beat your record and you know that um, if you don't beat it, um, then you've wasted a week. And, mm. and as a trainer, I know that uh, if you don't beat it, it's not really wasted. Maybe you needed a week uh, extra to adapt. You know, maybe you needed to recover more that week. Um, all those things I know. But as a lifter myself, I want to get stronger and bigger, you know, so I'm there on Friday under the bar and I'm adding five extra pounds and I'm like, I'm going to do this five times. You know, there's, there's no way I'm going to miss this lift. Um, so it's good on the psychological side as well. And, um, the, this is a, basically how I progress my clients, uh, through the intermediate level. 
Awesome. No, that's wonderful. And thank you for uh, going on that tangent for the sake of the, for the benefit of the podcast. And, and I think it will be very, very useful for people to hear this because when we will be now talking about some of these more kind of quote unquote special training methods, we can see how that compares to some of this more traditional way of progressing. So, yeah. um, so first, um, uh, can you just define for us what does the concept of effective reps mean to you? Yeah, um, it came from a study uh, I read that was published in 2017 by Prestige and All, and I'll uh, get into the study in a minute. But that study led me to think about um, reps and and if reps closer to failure were more effective. And um, I I formalized a theory and and kind of made the hypothesis that they would be. So a theory is just a set of interrelated propositions. Um, We use a lot of that in health uh, statistics and public health, Uh, not so much in exercise sciences, or at least we don't call them that. Um, So I kind of made an effort to... um, propose three propositions and I, I find it's useful to just put them out there you know one two three so then when we start arguing about the theory then you can say well I agree with number one but I don't agree with number two hmm. um, so here they are the first one is just defining failure and uh, most people will agree with this definition I think failure is the point during a set when muscles can no longer produce necessary force to concentrically lift a given load and uh, this is a definition given by Brad Schoenfeld in 2010 and um, some people would call this concentric failure so that's what failure is and I think it's useful to define it uh, if we're gonna talk talk about reps closer to failure um, the second uh, proposition is that effective reps are reps closer to failure and the third proposition is that the closer a rep is to failure the more effective it is at building muscle for people interested um, this was published first in February of this year so that's 2018 in the Allen Aragon research review they can read the whole thing uh, but in a nutshell these are the three propositions perfect yeah so um, so you mentioned that reps being taken closer to to failure or or more effective. Uh, just um, briefly, how how close to failure are we talking about? Uh, is it all the way to failure, or one rep shy of failure, two reps shy of failure? Yeah. So the theory, uh, another good um, quality of a theory is to just to be simple. You know, so to keep it simple. Uh, I haven't mentioned this in the theory, so that's a great question that you have. And I, if we just follow the theory, then, you know, the closer you get to failure, the more effective it is at building muscle, which means, you know, um, going to failure and really reaching that point when you're trying to lift the barbell and, you know, you cannot curl your bicep anymore um, would be the the most effective rep that you've done for your set. So according to the theory and what I was thinking at the time, I believe uh, that, that this rep would be the most effective rep of your set. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. Uh, so, um, so you mentioned that there were a couple of studies that kind of tipped you off. Uh, do you want to just briefly discuss uh, these? Yeah, absolutely. So um, first was the Prestige study that I mentioned. So they studied rest-pause sets. And rest-pause is a technique for doing your reps. Uh, basically, what you're doing in a rest-pause set is you're doing a series of reps that you carry out to failure. Then you're going to rest, uh, short rest, and then you're going to do more reps to failure. And you can repeat that a few times. In that study, the subjects, they did an initial set, so a first set with 80% of 1RM, so that's a more or less 8RM weight. 
they did that uh, to failure. And then they waited or rested 20 seconds. And then they did as many set uh, as many reps as they could. Then they waited 20 more seconds and so on until they did a total of 18 repetitions. That was the rest pause group. The, in the study, they also had a normal sets group uh, who did six reps at 80% with two or three minutes between sets. Mm -hmm. So this would be, you know, your kind of classic three sets, you know, this here it's three sets of six, but we often see three sets of 10, you know, three sets, you know, really yeah, yeah. a, a staple in, in gyms. So uh, three sets of six with two, three minutes in between. So um, the volume was the same in each group, you know, the uh, rest balls group, they did 18 reps with 20 seconds of rest when they reach failure um, in one set in one long rest pause set. The other guys, they did three sets of six. So that's also six, uh, 18 reps. Yeah. And uh, both group trained six weeks. And after six weeks, the guys in the rest pause group, they gained more muscle thickness in the thigh. Now they gained 11%, whereas the other guys gained only 1%. And that difference was statistically significant. Um, however, uh, other differences between groups in muscle thickness in the arm and in the chest were not statistically different. So generally, when I talk about this study, I will say the results are similar and maybe a little bit better uh, for rest pause. But at least what this study shows is that um, you can really cut your rest times um, and have similar results, which is, is great for doing uh, efficient exercise and time efficient exercise, as you mentioned at the beginning. I have another one, uh, another study that's interesting. Uh, if you want, I'll get into it now. Yeah, yeah, sure. Let's do it. Okay, so this one is by Goto and All, published in 2005. And it's a very interesting protocol. It, it doesn't get talked about a lot, uh, but I find it, it's really interesting. So in that study, um, they had two groups of lifters. And they did the exact same training protocol. That was three to five sets at 10 RM. And there was just one difference between groups. Um, the lifters in group number two, they rested for 30 seconds at the midpoint of each set. So they did five reps, 30 seconds rest, and five more reps. The other guys, they did their 10 reps uh, in one shot, in one set. So the volume was equal between groups, but more effective reps were performed by lifters in group one, the group that had no rest. Uh, because if you think about it, group two, by resting, uh, they were not taking their sets to failure. They, they stayed far away from failure all the time. And, and as the theory would predict, uh, lifters in group one gained more muscle cross-sectional area uh, than lifters in group two. The, the group one gained 12.9% and group two gained 4%. And the difference was statistically significant there as well. So um, this um, highlights the importance of a training variable that's, um, that's not talked about a lot, which um, that Brad Schoenfeld calls intensity of effort. Intensity of effort is basically how close to failure you bring your set. And um, it relates, you know, to the theory of effective reps, as in uh, the closer a rep is to failure, the more effective it is at building muscle. Well, in this study, we saw that people who stayed away from failure by resting at the midpoint of their set, uh, they built about three times uh, less muscle. That's very interesting. So, um, so first, uh, let's let's talk about the effective reps uh, concept. So, 
Um, traditionally, the, the way I've seen it being used is more in high rep work where we are trying to make essentially lighter loads, uh, making them harder. But it sounds like in this study, they were using pretty high uh, intensities. So so mm-hmm. maybe first, first let's, let's talk about this. Like, how do you personally uh, like to use this best? Do you use it with all kinds of intensities across the board or do you prefer to use it more with lighter load training? How do you personally like to do it? Yeah. Okay. So... Um... To answer your question, I think I would have to um, talk about fiber recruitment. And um, fiber recruitment is important because to hypertrophy a muscle, you have to, or to hypertrophy a muscle fiber, you have to recruit it. It has to be contracted. If it doesn't contract, you know, and there's not not much going on, and it's not going to get much bigger. Um, this is a more or less new avenue. I don't want to say new avenue of research because there's old research on that stuff. But let's say that we've uh, begun to understand the significance and the importance of of recruitment uh, uh, in a in a in a bigger way more recently, or at least I have. You know, this is not the kind of stuff that was taught uh, when I was doing my bachelor in 2004. Now, recruitment. Um, you, you recruit. 100% of your the muscle fibers of your muscles when you use uh, maximal or near maximal weights you recruit them from the first rep uh, and uh, depending and I've seen I just saw some data recently that um, gives me an inkling that they that may be different um, from one muscle group to the other but I think that up to around 20 reps which is around 60% one RM and I may getting, you know, my numbers a little fuzzy here, but um, um, I think that's in that ballpark. But don't quote me on this. Uh, until that point, you're recruiting uh, all your fibers from the first rep. So uh, fatiguing your muscles and trying to do more effective reps may be, you know, less important for heavier weights because, as you're saying, um, um, you're alluding to, you know, that doing longer sets with lighter weights while you're not recruiting all your fibers. So you really want to fatigue your muscles. And then as you do that, more and more fibers get recruited. So more and more fibers um, can adapt and grow bigger and stronger. So, the, you know, this is the, the general thinking at this time. I, I don't think I'm mistaken here. Um, does the theory of effective reps apply for um, heavy weights and sets of fives or of 10. Um, I think it still does, but I think it's less important than for sets of, let's say, more than 20 reps. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so um, what is, or, or maybe let's, I've heard you outline uh, kind of your general way that you like to implement uh, this um training strategy of, of shortening your rest periods and uh, cranking out more of these effective reps closer to failure. So maybe let's dive into those and that will open up the avenue for some other potential questions from there. Yeah, sure. So you want to know how I work out using this concept? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's dive into it. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll tell you uh, in a minute, but before I forget, I, I just wanted to point out that, um, 
you know, I mentioned two studies in favor of the theory, but some studies were against. And uh, for the reader interested in seeing all the studies, I, I found eight and five were in favor and three were against. And that can all be seen in the Alan Aragon uh, article in the original one where I published it. And also, just to be fair, you know, as a scientist, I want to kind of make these disclaimers that I, I haven't done a systematic review. So I may be uh, forgetting some studies. And I'm not saying that this is the you know definitive answer on that topic, just my opinion at that point and a, a theory and hypothesis I wanted to put forward. Absolutely. Uh, but I still train that way if you want or I still apply this concept. Um, and the way I train now is basically I just do one long ass rest ball set. I will um, say do a set of 10, um, go to failure and I will wait 25 seconds. These days I use 25. I've used everything from 15 to 40. I've tested those and tested those with clients as well. Um, these days I use 25 and um, wait 25 seconds. I will crank out a few more reps on a set of 10. I can usually crank out three more reps after uh, a 25 second rest. And then I will rest 25 seconds and do three more reps and uh, go merrily that way until uh, my muscles really hurt or I'm, I'm you know tired of doing it for the day or more seriously uh, of where I'm at in my mesocycle right absolutely um, so I'm curious um, so so first of all let, let's talk just for a second about rest periods uh, what you mentioned that you experimented with resting different time intervals um, what did you or what were some of the things that led you to rest 25 as opposed to four? I heard you in a previous podcast mention 40 seconds. So what did you find to be the, the difference there? Okay, great question. So um, the prestige study that I mentioned used 20 second rests. So, um, you know, we have evidence that this rest period works well. Um, at first, when I tried it, 20 seconds, and I was not used to rest pause sets, I... I couldn't crank out more reps, you know, I would do say a set of 10, rest 20 seconds, and then I can do only two more reps. And then I have to wait another 20 seconds and I do two more reps and, you know, it ends up uh, doing, uh, being less efficient, you know, and I end up doing a ton of what I call mini sets, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so then I moved it up to 40 seconds and 40 seconds would let me do three or four extra reps. So I, th I thought, well, now it's worth it. And, you know, on a bicep curl, um, it's not that much of a hassle, but on a squat, if you're gonna rack and unrack the bar yeah. um, for two reps, you know, it's it's, it's a lot of work, and I, <laughs> I I I I didn't think that was really effective or efficient. Um, but as I adapted to the technique, uh, after I would say two months, you know, I f I found out that I was re recovering faster, and so I started experimenting with shorter rest periods and i found i could still do you know enough reps that it would be worth uh, my time and even be a little more efficient um that way and the the one thing that i try to keep in mind all the time uh through this is is it efficient because um being effective is one thing, but being efficient is another. And as I hinted at at the beginning, I'm at a point in my life where I, I, I want to be productive. And I think, you know, you and I, we're really interested in building muscle and working out. You know, we love that stuff. But a lot of business people and, you know, dads and moms and, and even athletes, you know, who want to play their sport and they want, don't want to spend two hours in the weight room or even an hour in the weight room. If you can get the same results in half the time, you know, I'm all for that. So 
that's also a reason why I went from 40 seconds to 25. If I can shave off 15 seconds of my off of my rest and still make similar gains, you know, I'll do it just because I'm saving time. Yeah. Um, so just as a kind of as a side note, how long are your training sessions these days using these strategies? Um, these days I'm working out on a, uh, full body workout, but I split those into two. So I'm only doing four exercises when I go to the gym and, uh, with rest pause, I, my sessions are like 20, 25 minutes and, and I am pretty beat up when I, when I leave the gym. Um, and, um, I'm making similar gains, you know, similar gains that I would make with uh, around a one hour workout. And, um, when I was training really seriously, I competed in powerlifting for two, two, three years over here in Quebec. And, um, I'm not really built for strength. So I, unfortunately I never went Same. really far, but I did train, um, pretty seriously. And I would do these long workouts where you, you rest three, four, five minutes between sets. And, um, I would bring a book, you know, to the gym and I would be sitting down <laughs> a lot of the time and reading and, um, and, and, I would leave the gym, you know, beat up, but it took two hours. Um, whereas now I can leave the gym beat up after 25 minutes and be, you know, feel pretty confident that I had a good workout. Yeah, no, no, that's awesome. So uh, two things you mentioned there. Uh, one is uh, re-wrecking and wrecking the weight with a squat, mm -hmm. which brings up the topic of exercise selection. Mm -hmm. And the other one was, of course, um, uh, progression and that you're ma still making gains, which brings up the topic of progressive overload. So maybe let's knock out the exercise selection question because that's a simpler one to address. So obviously, this short, these short rest periods may not lend themselves that well to some exercises, or at least they might be better suited for some exercises than others. So uh, are there certain no-go uh, lifts in your experience with this one? Oh, yeah. Any lift that's very technical. So um, no uh, clean and jerk, no snatch. <laughs> and, yeah. Well, you know, you're laughing, but um, I remember a few years ago, I used to actually go out with a, I was dating a, a CrossFit athlete, uh, pretty highly ranked over here in Quebec. And um, she would get injured all the time. And it was really sad. And um, in CrossFit, you know, um, a lot of people were doing uh, snatches to failure. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm laughing, but I guess I should not. And uh, I think that's very unsafe, you know, very risky. Uh, and don't do it. Don't do yeah. it, guys. Uh, so don't do response sets with snatches. And, um, and don't do it with clean and jerks. Next up in the um, technical um, hierarchy of uh, exercises, I would rank the squat, you know, and, and yeah. close to that, the deadlift. And um, I personally use the technique for squats and deadlifts, but I've been working out for uh, around 17 years. And so I would say that my technique is very dialed in. And um, so I'm not afraid to make a technical mistake. I'm squatting in a rack with safety pins. And, you know, I, I take all the precautions that uh, you need to take if you're going to go to failure on the squat. Um, if you're a beginner or even intermediate, if your technique is not really good, um, then you may not want to fail on these exercises because uh, you might uh, get injured. And then uh, down the hierarchy is are the um, single joints uh, exercises like leg extensions, leg curls, biceps curls, triceps extensions, um, and uh, a lot of the machine exercises. I don't want to say all of them because uh, there are some wonky machines out there, but uh, uh, many machine exercises are pretty safe to do to failure. Um, and, and for those, uh, then uh, maybe they would be the most um, indicated for uh, using this method. Yeah. Um, 
that brings up just for one second still the the question of how we define failure. You gave a really nice definition for it in the beginning, uh, but still, like some people will wonder, do we mean by failure the point where we are still attempting one more rep with you know like veins popping out of our forehead and we fail the rep, or the yeah. point where we feel like okay, the next one would definitely not go with good form. Yeah, you know, for practical reasons, I would um, I would say don't actually fail, especially you know if you're squatting, then you need to leave the bar at the bottom, and uh, um, it's a lot of hassle. I think that in theory, um, you know, that last rep that you failed. Uh, you, you you did the eccentric portion on the squat at least, mm-hmm. and um, that rep you know was probably um, very effective, but you know it's going to cost you some time and some hassles, so you can skip it. And um, the difference um, in effectiveness is is I think small, you know. And I was pretty excited about this when I published a theory in February, but since then I've. Uh, had some conversations with good coaches, and I'll men- mention a few uh, in passing, but I'm forgetting um, many. Um, but I spoke with, uh, or on Facebook actually chatted with, uh, James Krieger, Greg Knuckles, uh, Adele Musa, and, and Brandon Roberts, and they um, critiqued some of the studies that uh, I was basing my um, theory on or, or citing in favor of the theory and uh, made me more aware of their limitations. So while I still think that um, reps closer to failure are more effective, I would say that uh, the difference is probably small. So for a small difference, you certainly do not want to risk injuring yourself. And you might, you know, you might also um, keep your lifting fun and easy and not leave the bar at the bottom of the squat and uh, finish your reps. So to answer your question, I would I would say that maybe, you know, generally speaking, maybe you can skip the last rep. If you know you're going to fail, you know, uh, don't be a masochist and then uh, don't <laughs> don't do it. Perfect. Yeah, so um so with with that let's talk about uh, progressive overload a little bit. So how do you like to progress with so you're doing this giant S, um, basically, yeah, rest pause set. Yeah. So the w- once you completed it, the next workout, are you attempting to increase the weight or try to do more of these effective reps in subsequent sets after the short rest period? Like, what is your go-to method there? Yes. Well, um, so, so that's maybe two questions in one. There's progression in terms of load, and there's progression in terms of volume, um, or or number of reps. You know, um, to progress reps with res pause is really easy. You just do maybe an extra mini set at the end. You will do one more res pause. You know, so let's say um, today I do one set of ten, and then I rest. 25 seconds, I do three reps, and I repeat that three times for a total of nine extra reps. Um, Well, maybe next week, I will do the same workout, and I will do 10 reps again, and I will do four times three extra reps. So, you know, I've I've increased my volume by three reps, which is a, a, you know, a... Worth uh, a worthy increase in, in one week, so that's a good way to increase volume, and it's a very efficient way to increase volume. Um, you know, the quote-unquote old way to increase volume is to do an extra set. Well, if you're going to do an extra set, it means you're going to wait, you know, two minutes, three minutes, if you want to recover well and don't drop your weight too much. Um, so you're going to be spending more time in the gym to increase your volume. And if you're going to add one set to six different exercises and you wait, let's just say two minutes more for each, then you, you've added 
12 minutes just of resting to your session. Yeah. Whereas with rest pause, and then you rest just 25 seconds and you can progress, you know, by, without spending that much time um, inside the gym. So that's progression uh, for volume, but there's also progression for intensity or weight or load, the, the load that you lift. And, um, you know, if I did 10 reps um, last week and now I want to do... 10 reps again with a higher load. I may not be able to do it. Um, to be honest, at my level, um, I'm not going to make gains every week. Uh, beginners are going to make gains every workout. Intermediate lifters will make gains uh, once a week. Uh, but for me now, you know, I'm probably going to use the same weights and I'm just going to try and squeeze out an extra rest pause at the end, three more reps, and I'm going to be happy with my progress that week. Yeah. Well, did you still find that over multiple weeks you were able to add load to your lifts? Huh. For me, you know, these days um, it's going up and down. I'm finding that, yes, I'm getting stronger, but then I need a deload. So I deload the weight and the way I do it is I uh, take 10% off my 1RM. Um, and then, you know, I bring it back up and... Uh, it goes um, slowly back up, and then I need another deload, so it goes back down. Um, since, say, you know, the last two years, uh, I've been, there's like a confounding factor here is that, you know, I've been more focused on business and less focused on training. I would say that I was the strongest a few years ago when I was competing in powerlifting. Uh, mm -hmm. But now I train less often. I do lower volumes. Um, so I'm... I, I can't say honestly that I'm really getting stronger that way, but I wouldn't say it's because of the technique. I would just say that it's because um, I'm, uh, I've been lifting for 17 years. I'm pretty strong already. I'm lifting less than I used to, and uh, it's not my main focus anymore. So talking just about myself, um, I, I'm afraid I can't say that I am getting stronger. What I can say is that for some of my clients who are using this technique, yes, they do get stronger. Now, Obviously, uh, I'm not doing a, cr a clinical trial here, and I, I you know, you can't compare yourself using one technique and the other at the same time. You know, you're just using one technique or another technique. And these clients, I'm sure they would get stronger as well if they were training with another type of workout plan. Um, sure. Which one works the best to build strength? Um, some plans, you know, are made for strength, and I'm, I keep getting back to the five by five. Well, you know, you're doing um, sets with few reps, heavy weights, long uh, rest periods. That's, you know, the traditional formula for building strength and it still works. So if your goal is to build strength, then maybe, you know, doing a long rest pause set is not the best way to progress. Uh, but if your goal is to build muscle or get in shape, you know, or just transform your body and look good um, in a way that's efficient, then uh, this is definitely the, the technique that I would recommend. Awesome. And um, so... If, if someone wants to do this and they want to put together a workout, workout plan and let's say they want to use only this type of training method for all of their lifts and all of their muscle groups, um, how would you sort of as a, like a sample, like how many sets would you do per muscle group per week um, with this kind of uh, training, training setup? Well, I counting sets, you know, becomes maybe a little bit problematic because uh, you're just doing one rest pause set. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, if you're... Um, if you, let's say you're, you're a um, early intermediate, you know, complete beginners, 
Um, they can do basically anything and get good gains. But <laughs> let's say um, you've been working out for some time, but you're not in great shape. You're going to start out with one rest pause set for um, you know all your major muscle groups, and you're just going to keep adding pauses. And um, uh, two months down the line, maybe three months, you know you're on your set of let's say ten reps. Well, you're doing fifteen or even twenty extra reps. Um, just uh, with the rest pause technique. Um, so to answer your question, you know, it's still just one set, <laughs> but uh, you're doing more and more reps. And um, I, you know, I could give you guidelines for um, how much, uh, how many extra reps you know, to do on week one, on week two, on week three. Okay, let's do it. So w- yeah. week one, you're going to do one rest pause. Week two, you're going to do two rest pauses. Week three, you're going to do three uh, maybe week four, you're going to do three again because it's starting to be hard. And then week four, you're going to do, um, I think we're on week five. No, so week five, you're going to do four. And week six, you're going to do four as well. So you're kind of seeing that I'm adding one rest pause um, per week. And then as you get to week three, four, five, six, then it's one per every two weeks. That's a general guideline for progression. But um it's going to depend on how you feel, you know, and when you get into the gym or when you get out of the gym, if you feel that you could have done more or if you're doing your set and, um, you know, you feel you have more in you then uh, do it, you know, and it's, 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 there's a good variability there. Some people can handle, um, more aggressive progressions. Others can't. Uh, so this is why I was a little hesitant to, you know, give you a template progression for a spas partly because it's individual and also partly because to be honest, uh, I don't have as much experience with this technique, uh, as I do with, you know, more traditional, uh, lifting, uh, methods. Sure. And, and would you, have you experimented with repeating uh, the same sort of rest pause set multiple times a week for the same muscle group? Oh yeah, sure. For me, uh, I do them two times a week and um, it's working pretty well. Um, for beginners, I have them doing three three times a week and it's also working well. Um, the one, I guess, uh, objection that some coaches will have against uh, doing rest pause is that they, they're afraid to train to failure all the time. And uh, I agree that this can be a problem. Now, I have two answers to that. The first one is you do not have to do your rest pauses to failure. Now, I'm kind of um, uh, uncoupling the theory of effective reps and rest pause here, but you know, one is a theory and the other is just a technique. Um, picture a rest pause set where you... I'll, I'll stay with my example of 10 reps, you know, but let's say that one week I feel really beat up and my joints hurt and um, maybe I'll skip a workout and then the next workout I will I will take my 10 RM weight that I'm used to doing 10 times and I will do just nine and then I will wait 25 seconds and instead of doing three reps, I will do just two reps. So these sets and, and mini sets are carried out one rep shy of failure. They are less effective but they let me recover and they, they're still very efficient. So you can use rest pause sets and save a lot of workout time even to recover and even um, if you're not training to failure. So I hope people um, take away that you don't have, you know, they don't confound the two that, that you don't have to train to failure with rest pause set um, from this podcast. Awesome. Do you, do you think that someone can just uh, progress with this training method all the way up to their genetic potential yeah i think so i think so um i, I may get some um 
you know, some flack for this. I, uh, I'm curious to see what, how people will react, but, um, I, I, I don't understand why. And by the way, there was a second way to avoid, um, training to failure, but, uh, let, let's, I'll just finish my, my thought. Um, I don't understand why this technique is not more popular to be honest. And I, I wrote a big guide recently, uh, hoping to get more people to use it. And I don't understand why my, um, teachers in university did not teach me, you know, that, um, that was the way to train. Why are people still resting two minutes between sets? And on, on Danny Lennon's podcast, I mentioned for the first time that I thought there was a U-shaped relationship between uh, rest and hypertrophy. Whereas if you rest less than one minute, for example, 20 seconds in the prestige study, you end up building more muscle than when you rest two to three minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the prestige study, like I said, they, they had more hypertrophy in the thigh. This study has some limitations, but uh, let's pretend for a moment that it's true. Okay, let's pretend that 20 seconds is better than two minutes. Well, why did my teachers teach me that a, you know, a workout program was three sets of 10 with two minutes in between? You know, that, that's uh, looking at it from you know, the, the recent data. Um, it makes it look kind of dumb. You know, you're just wasting your time. Now, since then, I've had conversations with some good coaches. I mentioned them earlier, and they helped me realize that some of these studies had uh, limitations. So what I think now is more of a hockey stick relationship between rest and hypertrophy, whereas zero minutes of rest is probably just as effective as one minute. And I, I'm pretty sure that Greg Knuckles agreed with me on this, and uh, um, I hope I'm, I'm not misquoting him. Um, maybe he can correct me. But um, looking at the evidence, you know, he pretty much agreed, and um, and some other coaches agreed as well. It was a public discussion on Facebook. I, I can send you the link. You know, it became like an epic long post and discussion. Uh, if you want to put it in the show notes, Abel, or yeah, read it yourself. Curious, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, there was some very interesting and high level conversation going on there, and. Um, and, um, you know, in summary, uh, if resting uh, 20 seconds is just as effective as resting one or two minutes, then why do people rest for two minutes? So, so uh, for hypertrophy, at least, um, I think we have some evidence that uh, it's, it's not necessary. And basically, it's a waste of time. So um, I hope more people start uh, resting less. And, um, and thanks for giving me the opportunity, you know, to, to talk about this training uh, method uh, on your podcast. Um, I do want to say that, you know, this is not um, confirmed at this point. This is my, you know, opinion based on my experience and my analysis of the science. I, I, I look forward to see more coaches and maybe more exercise scientists uh, come forward and, and ask the same questions and, and maybe give their opinion as well. But um, perhaps, you know, in, in 10 years, in, in five years, um, you know, the standard way of working out for muscle mass will be uh, very short rests because, you know, as, I, as we're seeing, um, there's, there's, I think, you know, more and more data or at least reasons to believe that um, these, uh, these two minutes rests are just a waste of time. Yeah. So, so to answer your question, yes, I can see people using rest pause from the beginner stage to the advanced stage and build all the muscle mass they need using this technique. Yes, I see it. 
No, perfect. Yeah, and and I uh, to your to your question as to why is this not more popular? I think that a lot of people are just um, scared to abandon kind of long true and tried yeah. methods. Oh yeah. But but I guess the main message is that as long like until you you're actually trying something, then you will never know whether it could could actually work. So like yeah, some, someone is yeah. Yeah, just try it out, you know, <laughs> try it out for like four weeks and uh, you'll see for yourself. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So um, finally, I maybe let's touch on your app that you uh, touched on in the beginning, or I don't know if you just mentioned it to me offline, but you have a really cool uh, innovation, which um, could revolutionize the future <laughs> of training design. So let's talk about it. Well, thanks for this. Well, I, I hope it does. You know, um, I've been a lifter and a trainer for 17 years and I, I wrote a lot of workout plans. And um, one thing that, I, I, that kind of made me sad was that I had to start over again every time. You get a new client, you write a new workout plan and then your client does it and then you get another client and you write another workout plan. So yeah. I, I kind of grew tired of um, writing um, new workout plans all the time and also uh, it's, uh, it's expensive for people. You know, they, they need to get a trainer and they, they got to pay this trainer for his time and um, then they get a, a plan but maybe eight weeks later they have to get a new plan it's again it's pretty expensive so um, I was also pretty sad to see that a lot of people in the gym you know doing stupid stuff and uh, I would be you know I would be it hurt you know it hurt inside to, to look at them and think well um, this person is, is wasting his time you know and I would just see them from the corner of my eye and not just you know spend you know, an hour staring, but I could see that uh, month after month, they wouldn't be really uh, improving. And, you know, mm. they would still rack that uh, one plate on the barbell and do the, the same bench press for like a year. And you're like, well, buddy, you know, you're not going anywhere with this. Yeah. Um, so I hope that more people can have access to high quality programs. And, um, and this is what led me to build an AI, to build a NAP that um, applies rest pause and other advanced methods to build muscle. And so since getting my PhD, and it's been about two years, we've been working on this. I'm with a small team, and uh, we're building a new phone app that helps you build mu muscle faster with a smart program. So your program starts at your level, and it levels up automatically with you as you work out. So you just it tells you what to do, and then you just enter what you actually did, and then it adjusts every workout and it updates every time you work out with uh, the best reps and sets and weights um, so you always build muscle as fast as possible it's really telling you what to do and applying these principles um, so you don't have to get a trainer and, and, and to be honest these days Abel when when my friends or you know people around me they they ask me for a program I just give them the app <laughs> because I, I you know it almost does a better job than I can do and it does it instantly because it's a program uh, so it's like a personal trainer in your pocket. It's 10 times cheaper than a human trainer. It's available 24-7, and it's always up to date. I keep it up to date with the latest science, uh, and this is really my number one passion. So you don't have to do it, you know, as a trainer or as a, a lifter. You don't have to keep up with the latest news because I do it, and I update the program inside the app. And what I'd like to do, Abel, is offer uh, your listeners the first month free if they'd like to check it out. So, dear listener, uh, if you want to build muscle faster and get your first month free, then use this special link. Uh, the link is drmuscleapp.com forward slash abel. So, you can get your first month free. So, that's D R 
M-U-S-C-L-E-A-P-P.com forward slash A-B-E-L. DrMuscleApp.com forward slash Abel. Damn. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Junot, for uh, making this offer, giving this offer for the listeners. And me as a podcast host, these are the moments when you know you made it. Someone just made a custom URL with your name. <laughs> with your name. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm happy and I'm, I'm, I'm also happy that, you know, you, you reached out and that I, I'm given this opportunity to, to talk about my number one passion. To me, you know, this, uh, this work feels like play and I'm, I'm, I hope I can contribute to this field by helping more people train in a better way, in a more efficient way, um, be it uh, by using Respaws like we've discussed or even with my app. You know, if, if um, people who cannot aff afford a trainer uh, end up working out better and getting better results and transforming their body, um, you know, I've seen firsthand how it can transform your life. I, I can mm, recount a quick anecdote. You know, I had this client uh, who came to me, uh, obese, and... Um, she complained that uh, the parking was too far away from the gym. Mm. And uh, over the course of a, uh, six months, she lost 48 pounds and um, she started biking to go to the gym. And at the same time, she um, left her uh, job where she was, uh, didn't get any recognition. She left her abusive husband and she stopped drinking heavily, you know, and, and, uh, maybe you've seen this as well as a trainer, but when mm. people um, lose control and, and they finally decide to, you know, get back in shape and, and gain back control, they make big changes in their life. And, um, you know, this is what I hope people can do with these techniques is, um, you know, get into shape and get into the best shape of their life and, you know, be really proud when they, they look at themselves and feel good. And so uh, I'm really glad you gave me the opportunity to, uh, to be here today. No, absolutely. And, and thanks for those closing words. And it was an honor talking to you. Just um, any other uh, resources you would like people to check out? No, really. Um, uh, if they get the app, they're also going to get a few emails uh, with tips and, and my views on uh, training and building muscles. So the best way to, to get all of that would be just to uh, follow that link, you know, uh, drmuscleapp.com forward slash a bell. And uh, this is how they can uh, get into my world. Wonderful. Well, uh, Dr. Juno, thank you so much for being on. It was an absolute pleasure. Uh, me as well. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And once again, if you haven't checked it out already, be sure to visit the Sustainable Self-Development Facebook group at facebook.com slash sustainable self-development. And if you haven't done it already, visit sustainableselfdevelopment.com to be up to date with everything that we've got going on there. All right. Thank you for hanging on up until now and see you in the next episode.